Welcome to Nick Lansley's Innovation Lab. Hello, I'm Nick Lansley and welcome to this week's episode of Innovation Lab. I hope you are well. It's all gone a bit sour here in the UK, thanks to COVID-19. From Monday, September the 14th, no more than six people will be able to meet socially in any surroundings, meaning it will be illegal for a family of six to meet any of their relatives. Indeed, anyone breaking the rules will be liable to a £100 sterling fine, rising to £3,200 for repeat offenders. Yes, I was organising a bit of a birthday celebration for next month, so yeah, maybe I'm feeling particularly sour. Well, that's not the only reason for British upset. Our nation's children were subjected to an algorithm, one that wrecked nearly one-third of their exam grade marks. This episode is all about algorithms like this, the new generation of machine learning algorithms being deployed in ways that are affecting our lives. In the UK, because of the coronavirus outbreak, A-level and GCSE examinations had to be cancelled, leaving education authorities with a choice. Give the pupils the grades that had been predicted by their teachers or use an algorithm. They went with the latter because they could not trust the former not to inflate grades. The outcome was that more than one-third of results in England were downgraded by one grade from the mark issued by teachers. This meant that a lot of pupils didn't get the grades they needed to get to their university of choice. More ominously, the proportion of private school students receiving A and A-star was more than twice as high as the proportion of students at comprehensive schools, highlighting the gross inequality that exists in the British education system. A lot of teenagers, realising that their life chances had just been screwed by a piece of computer code, took to the streets. F the algorithm became a popular slogan, and in due course, the government caved in and reversed the results, though not before a lot of emotional distress and administrative chaos had been caused. And to top it all, Prime Minister Boris Johnson blamed the fiasco on, quote, a mutant algorithm. What? No mutation was involved. The algorithm did exactly what it was asked of it, to take the teacher's grade marks and adjust it based on what happened in exams in previous years. The trouble is, nobody outside the ranks of the UK government's Office of Qualifications and Examinations Regulation, or Ofqual, and the computer programmers who built the algorithm knew what all the input variables were. Exam results from previous years, the teachers' marks, and what else? The geographical area, the socio-economic distribution for that area? Mutation. The only mutation was in the behaviour of the humans affected by its calculations. They revolted against what it did. Outrage over the unfairness has led to the abandonment of the algorithm's output and their replacement with the unmoderated teacher's assessments. But this too is unfair. Not only do teacher's assessments tend to be overgenerous when compared with actual exam results when left unmoderated, they also penalise those pupils in schools whose teachers were stricter with their assessment. The teacher marking strictness variable, I bet that wasn't given to the algorithm. In this case, the same algorithm affected thousands of people negatively in one hit. They could see it, and they could protest. But most algorithms don't work like that. They work on a continuous, individual basis. For example, you might be penalised by the same algorithm that rewards me, so I get the credit card, and you don't, despite having the same credit rating, and you may never notice why. 
Now, my issue is that I program algorithms, both for clients and myself. For example, I live on the south coast of England, where it can be very windy here on the South Downs. So I have a Raspberry Pi mini computer monitoring the live wind conditions from publicly available sensors at Brighton Marina, Shoreham Airport and the port of New Haven Breakwater. Indeed, New Haven sensors are used by the New Haven to Dieppe ferry as part of their judgments as to which angle they approach the port in case they are blown sideways and crash into the harbour walls. I have developed and continue to tune an algorithm that monitors the wind, predicts its likely future wind speed and judges when to activate motorised storm shutters. They descend over the decking windows and protect them from airborne stones. So I get algorithms. I also get that they can make erroneous decisions at times. So right now, I am learning to program artificial intelligence algorithms, machine learning algorithms that can tune themselves. So I don't have to tune or refine my storm shutters algorithm anymore. It will tune itself as it learns more about the rise and fall of the wind. And I am not the only one. Computer scientists from across industry have become obsessed with this new genre of algorithms that enable machines to learn from data. I now understand how machine learning algorithms are radically different from previous generations of algorithm. Beforehand, I was in control. I wrote down the logic and I programmed it to work. These new machine learning algorithms do not depend on rules defined by us mere human programmers. Instead, they process data in raw form, for example, from text, emails, documents, social media, images, voice and music and video. And instead of being programmed to perform a task, they are programmed to learn how to perform the task. Their training involves using that data as a source and nothing else. So my own storm shutters algorithm takes a stream of wind speed data and calculates the increase or decrease in speed based on the previous hour. If the speed is likely to become greater than 14 meters per second or 30 miles an hour, it triggers the shutters down signal. And the shutters stay down until the average wind speed over the previous hour is dropping and averages below 12 meters per second, triggering the shutters up signal. If you are a developer, you are probably thinking of the if, then, else statements that would make this work. It is not a complex algorithm after all. But a machine learning algorithm does not need me to write any code like that. I simply give the algorithm the previous data logged over time. That's wind speed logged every minute of every day for a backlog of months and for each speed reading whether or not the shutters are up or down. I then switch my machine learning code into train mode and let it read the data which it can be from a CSV or an Excel spreadsheet. And I get it to loop with subsets of that data until what it refers to as the loss is as small as possible. So loss is the difference between what actually it thought it should do given a set of consecutive wind speeds and what actually happened. In this case, whether the shutters were up or down. Each loop is called an epoch, E-P-O-C-H. And I may have to run the code through thousands of epochs until the training is such that the loss value is staying smaller, doesn't seem to get any smaller. Once that happens, I can test the whole trained algorithm on a subset of original data called test data. If the prediction is accurate enough for me, I am after all trusting it to protect large plate glass windows, it then goes live. For info, I use Python and a library called Condas to read the data and format it, and the TensorFlow Keras library to perform the training. I use the matplotlib library to visualize the data in a graph so I can see what's going on primarily a scatter graph of original data and lines of decision-making made by the algorithm. Just a mere glimpse for us humans to see what is going on, you understand. I perform my development in Python's Jupyter Notebook so I can document my workings at each stage. 
This is on my Windows 10 computer, which has two large NVIDIA graphics cards to speed up the training and test times dramatically. But an ordinary PC with just a CPU will work just as well, if slower. Once trained, I install the algorithm and its special file of trained results onto the Raspberry Pi, set it running, and walk away. And from time to time, I'll rerun the training with the latest data and copy the trained results file over. What is interesting to me is to see if my new algorithm will pick up variations that I could not have predicted. I am particularly focused on sudden, sharp wind squalls that can batter the house at short notice and the storm shutters may not be deployed in time. I am hoping that the algorithm will spot these and take action sooner. Where it does not, my manual intervention, which involves telling Alexa to lower the storm shutters immediately, will be documented and added to the data backlog. This is all very well for my little project, but when Google's boss declared that Google plans to have AI everywhere, he's serious. Machine learning has enabled self-driving cars, practical speech recognition, more powerful web search, even an improved understanding of the human genome, and more, lots more. Because of its ability to make predictions based on observations of past behavior, machine learning is already so persuasive that most of us encounter it dozens of times a day without realizing it. Your web browser startup page showing news you may be interested in. Amazon's suggested next product purchase. Recommendations for the next YouTube video you watch. Nobody outside YouTube knows exactly what criteria the algorithm is using to choose those recommended videos, but because it's basically an advertising company, one criteria is bound to be maximize the amount of time a viewer spends on the site. Have you noticed how Gmail and Outlook are suggesting responses to emails? that Apple and Android phones are predicting the next word on the keyboard so you don't have to type it. As we click and watch and hit that thumbs up button and subscribe, we are carried along by the exciting sensation of uncovering personally interesting content because they are being highlighted to us. In recent years, there's been so much debate about the impact of such a strategy. Does it push certain kinds of users towards increasingly extremist content, for example? For me, I am being fed a diet of relentless YouTube tech videos extolling NVIDIA's new 3000 series GPU graphics cards, plus a lovely gay couple who live on a narrow boat and traverse Britain's canal network extolling canal living. At least these machine learning algorithms rarely travel beyond the boundaries of the website they inhabit, but let us head back full circle to the off-qual exam grades algorithm. That affected real lives and future careers. It had consequences and it did not have our democratic permission. What about machine learning algorithms we do not know about, but are used by government, local authorities, police forces, health services and other public bodies to make decisions that affect the lives of us? Who should get what universal benefits? Whose insurance premiums should be heavily weighted? Who should be denied entry to the UK? Whose hip or cancer operation should be fast-tracked? Who should get a loan or a mortgage? Who should be stopped and searched? Whose children should get a place with which primary school? Who should get bail or parole, and who should be denied them? The list of such decisions for which machine learning solutions are now routinely touted is endless. And the rationale is always the same. Quick and efficient service, judgement by impartial algorithms rather than us prejudiced, tired or fallible humans, value for money in the public sector, and so on. So what can we do? I do not have any answers. Machine learning is here to stay. All I can hope for is some public accountability and transparency. Some hope of that. A big thank you to John Norton, who chairs the advisory board of the new Mindaroo Centre for Technology and Democracy at the University of Cambridge, whose recent Guardian article on the subject got me interested in the wider picture since those exam grades fiasco. And I have included some of his article's words in this podcast episode. 
I'd love to hear your thoughts on the subject. Please drop me an email to innovation at lansley.com or tweet me at Nick Lansley. For now, that's it for this episode. Speak to you soon. Bye.